0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. President Biden entered office with big ambitions to combat climate change. So how's he doing? Well, in recent weeks, the EPA has announced indicated that it will announce a series of significant policies, one to dramatically increase sales of electric cars and trucks, and another to limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. To drill down into these policies, I'm joined by Coral Davenport. She's a reporter at The New York Times, where she covers energy and environmental policy with a focus on climate change. In 2020, she was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Coral, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, great to be with you.
1: So let's start with the electric vehicles announcement and policy. What exactly will it do and how ambitious is it?
0: So the EPA regulation, it's actually a regulation on greenhouse gas emissions from from vehicles, uh, which are currently vehicle tailpipes are the largest source of greenhouse gas pollution in the United States. And the restriction, the limits on greenhouse gas pollution, are designed to compel automakers to basically rapidly switch over the kind of cars that they are selling, such that by 2032, about 67% of new car sales in the U.S. are all electric. That is a massive leap. That's up from about 6% today. 6% to
1: 67%.
0: That is like a tenfold increase in less than a decade.
1: If I'm doing the math correctly, that's like nine years. So interestingly, as you point out, the EPA is not mandating a particular number of cars switching over to Electric because they can't do that or because they prefer not to do that.
0: Correct. No. I mean, the EPA, it's the Environmental Protection Agency. So what they can regulate are emissions. That's sort of their their brief. Um, they cannot tell, they can't, they can't mandate um numbers of car sales. But what they can do is tell the regulated entities, um, which are auto companies, automakers, they can say each year. You have to show the EPA um, that the average number of emissions produced by the new cars that you sell goes down really fast. You know, the numbers go down each year. And so essentially, the only way that automakers would be able to comply with this regulation is by really rapidly increasing the number of zero emission cars that they sell that is the that is the form of compliance so that is that is the outcome of the regulation
1: what is the enforcement mechanism what is the penalty if gm or some other automaker falls short
0: sure at the at the end so once once these rules go into place at the end of each year a, a company like gm or ford would report back you know, they would, they would say, okay, this is our annual sales of new vehicles. Again, important to remember this only applies to sales of new cars. Um, and say, you know, we've sold this many Chevy Silverados, which is not GM, or I'm thinking of, you know, Ford F-150. Sort of the biggest seller cars are these big gas-guzzling pickup trucks. We've sold this many of this. We've sold this many of this. And so what is the overall average number of emissions produced by all the cars that we sell? And if those numbers are higher than the regulation, then the companies have to pay pretty hefty fines. They're given like a year or two to make up for it. So if in one year they go over, they're given, you know, you can make it up by going under in the, in the next year or two. But if they do not comply and they don't meet those those numbers overall, um, then they there are fines that can go in the billions of dollars. I mean, it's designed to have teeth and to have hurt and to, and to make it very, very compelling, you know, for the automakers to meet these regulations rather than just pay their way out of it.
1: designed to hurt. are the rules designed to cause automakers to sort of incrementally increase every year, or is it backloaded or is it frontloaded? or how does that work?
0: It's steeper each year. So the closer you get to, I think um close to sixty percent, Um, by 2030, and then 67% by 2032. So so the requirements get steeper as the years go on.
1: You have written that this is nothing short of a revolution in the U.S. auto industry. Has there been something comparable to this, either in environmental regulation or something else that comes to mind?
0: If this regulation, and these are very important ifs, if this regulation is um, legally finalized in the way it's proposed, right now it's a draft proposal, if it is implemented. And super, super important, if it stands up to legal challenges and a future administration, if it stays in place and is enacted, it would fundamentally transform one of the bedrock industries, not just of the U.S., but the global economy. And certainly within the auto industry, there's no one I've talked to who hasn't said, you know, this is on par um, in terms of the, the the technological change and challenge, this is on par to the change that came in the auto industry as a result of Henry Ford inventing the assembly line 100 years ago. Every automaker, you know, auto workers have said this this changes everything.
1: Is the point here to do something very, very dramatic, understanding that it's unrealistic, but pushing people as far as they can go with maybe an eye towards in the future, relaxing the requirement a little bit? Or do they mean business? And really going from six percent to sixty-seven percent in nine years.
0: So I think this administration absolutely means business. And I don't actually think it's unrealistic um, for a couple of reasons. But but I should say one, again, this is it's a draft, this is a draft proposal, and they'll put out the final rule in a year. And the way these government regulations work is they'll put out a draft, they'll take public comment, the auto industries are all going to come in and they're going to say, this is too much, it's too hard, it's too fast. They're going to say that.
1: Well, not all of them. Tesla's mm. not going to say that.
0: Te- Tesla won't, but but a lot of the other ones will. Certainly um, Stellantis, which uh, makes sort of the lowest fuel, fuel economy cars in the U.S. is likely to say that. You know, the automakers will say that. And and they always do. Every time they get environmental regulation, they always say that. So they'll listen. And it is certainly within the realm of possibility. I think that they will somewhat lower the the ambition of it. And that's kind of a common way that environmental regulations go. They'll sort of put out, here's the high water mark of what we want. And then when they finalize it, it's a little easier. Um, Once it's finalized, I do think there is the expectation that that they would want it to be met. But a really important thing is that this regulation and the ambition of this regulation do not come out um, in isolation. And there's no way that the administration would have come out with such an ambitious regulation if it was not also paired with the new law creating massive incentives for consumers of electric vehicles that was passed last year. So that's the Inflation Reduction Act passed in 2022 that includes tax incentives for buyers of electric vehicles to make them more attractive, up to $7,500 for, for purchasers of vehicles. So these things it, go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And the, I mean, the idea was basically, first, they passed legislation to create carrots for consumers to make consumers want, you know, to, to get free money for buying electric vehicles. And then they put forward this regulation that essentially created a stick for the automakers to say, you have no choice but to do this.
1: So here's my question. They mandate certain emissions. They provide incentives for folks to buy electric vehicles. But how much does the infrastructure have to change in terms of charging stations in the country to go from 6% to 67% in only nine years? And what's the plan for building those charging stations?
0: Yeah. So the infrastructure is a huge, huge, huge challenge. And, And again, part of the reason that we see this, the administration thinking that such an ag- aggressive, ambitious regulation is doable is, is because of another law, that's the 2021 infrastructure law that included about um, $7 billion to build half a million uh, electric vehicle charging stations on interstate, on interstate highways, on federal big federal highways. Um, so that, that enough? No! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not even. I have no sense
1: of the scale and the numbers. No, so how many right. do we need?
0: So, um A report by uh, an analysis by S&P Global found um, that we would need for for not even the amount of electric vehicles that they're talking about, you know, um, at this scale, I think if it was like 40 to 50 percent of new cars sold were electric vehicles, we would need at least three million charging stations. And so that's you know, that's the, the federal government has stepped up and said, we'll pay for half a million the real need is probably more than 3 million, 3, 4, 5 million. And if, and that's public charging stations, that's not even talking about what's needed in garages, what's needed in apartment buildings, what's needed, you know, I can't have an electric vehicle. I live in a city row house. I I would have no place, you know, I would have no place to to plug it in. And so there is and the administration is acknowledges that there is, you know, this chicken and egg situation um with the with the cars and the charging stations and a lot of anxiety from consumers like yes i could get this tax credit but you know where do i plug it in what if i drive somewhere what if i'm out in the middle of nowhere and i need to plug and charge and and i can't do it and so there is a sense you know when i talk to experts in this industry they say the charging stations probably have to come first you know we need to see municipalities we need to see cities um starting to build more and more charging stations so that they're there even before the cars and the drivers are there.
1: Is part of this related in some way, and this is just a guess on my part, but is part of this related in some way to the expectation of what battery technology is going to be like over the next nine, 10 years?
0: It is, absolutely. And and the battery technology is very good. And here's here's another point where I want to, um, you know, explain why the administration feels confident that this is a realistic and achievable goal. And this is this is what they say and there's you know they have a big analysis that explains it. The the federal government has an auto technology lab up in Ann Ar- Arbor Michigan um right near where all the big automakers of course have their headquarters and their and their big manufacturing facilities and uh, facilities. And the job of this auto technology lab is to basically get all the you know, most cutting edge cars that are already on the road, take them apart. Talk to the engineers um, in the different companies. Work with, sort of, understand all the technology that is available, that is proprietary, that the companies don't even know that the other companies have. Talk to engineers and figure out. You know, when and and I went and I visited this lab, and they said, "Look, we know what the car companies can do." Even if they don't all know what their competitors can do, we know what what technology is already available and where it's going and and how much it can cost. And that so where's it,
1: battery technology going?
0: So bad. So you know what these what these engineers at this lab said is we are confident that the battery technology is already either where it needs to be or on track to get where it needs to be to be you know have long range auto batteries that are affordable by the time the regulations say they have to be there so the, this this kind of research really underpins the the target that that they're setting
1: right so to be clear what we're talking about is improvements in battery technology such that charging takes less time and a charge lasts longer
0: and they're affordable
1: and they're affordable
0: and that's they they do take that into consideration as well
1: So these um, rules are clearly going to be attacked and are already under legal attack. What's the nature of the legal attack and what's the likelihood of success?
0: So um, there's this group of, uh, as as I'm sure you are familiar with, this uh, well-organized group of um, attorneys general from Republican states who have been very consistently filing lawsuits against pretty much every major Climate change and, and other, but but I, I follow the climate change. Every other uh, every major sort of climate change regulation or climate change step that this administration is taking, they had great success in front of the Supreme Court last summer um, with a Supreme Court decision that really handcuffed the EPA's ability to go back go after another major source of uh, carbon dioxide emissions, which is power plants. They said you can do it, but you're you have to be very limited. You have to be. You can't be creative. We're going to be watching you, essentially. Um, and so this will be sued. Um, I think it will also be sued probably um, by oil companies, since one of the points of the acceleration into electric vehicles is is to end the use of petroleum. And I fully expect that a lawsuit against this and and the other major climate regulations will probably end up in front of the Supreme Court And, you know, this Supreme Court has shown itself to be very skeptical of aggressive and ambitious environmental regulations. That said, the Clean Air Act, which is the the statute that is the foundation for this regulation, is pretty clear that the federal government does have the authority to, to limit these emissions. And sort of the question will be, did they go too far? Did it place an undue economic burden? You know, on the industry, on consumers, you know that I think that would probably be the foundation of the case because in this particular, in the use of this particular regulation on on the cars, it doesn't look like they went out too far ahead of their skis on their legal authority.
1: Although, as we've discussed in other contexts on the podcast, the current Supreme Court is not necessarily that deferential to the quote unquote administrative state to regulatory agencies, uh, up to and including the FDA, as we've been talking about (laughs) Mm -hmm. in different contexts. So with respect to this other policy that may be announced relating to power plants, tell us very quickly what that's about and and the purpose of it.
0: So this is like a, a sister regulation. So the the regulation on cars, on vehicles, is intended to address the number one source of climate warming pollution in the U.S., that's vehicle tailpipes. And then the second largest source of climate warming pollution in the U.S. is power plant smokestacks. So that's coal and gas-fired power plants. And so this regulation, uh, again, places limits on the... Uh, greenhouse pollution that can be emitted from fossil fuel-fired power plants. Um, It hasn't been announced yet. We don't have all the details. What we do know so far is um, the regulation, at least as the EPA has written it and sent it over to the White House for approval, is essentially designed to ensure that existing fossil fuel-fired power plants do not produce any more carbon emissions by at all by 2040. And there's a couple of ways that electric utilities can comply with that. Um, one is they could start to shut down their existing coal and natural gas-fired power plants. Um, that would be a huge financial loss. And so the regulation says, look, there's some other things you can do. You can use technology like this very, very cutting-edge... Um, not widely proven technology called carbon capture and sequestration. You can install carbon capture and sequestration, which essentially like sucks the CO2 pollution out of the smokestacks and traps it in these giant caverns so it can't get out and is very expensive. You, know, you can attach that to your coal and gas-fired power plants. And if you can do that and you can have a— coal fired power plant that is not belching co2 into the atmosphere you can keep on running but everyone's got to everyone's got to figure out what they're going to do by 2040 that one i think that is i would describe that as more creatively and legally bold than the auto rule i think that's the one where and and we and we don't have all the details yet but i i think that that's the one and that's also the one where the supreme court already last summer said Mm, 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 mm. If you guys are going to try to you know, control pollution from, from power plants, you really got to watch yourselves. You have a bunch of limitations. You better stay inside the line. You better stay inside the rules. So they've already been given sort of a warning, a shot of warning from the Supreme Court.
1: Is any other country going as far in this respect as these two rules would go?
0: Are there parts of, the, yeah, California.
1: Um, no, I'm sorry. Any other country.
0: Oh, is any other country? Yes.
1: Although, look, some people do think that California, the California is, a is another country. country. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, I, sh- I should say that the auto rules are modeled on what is already being implemented in California, and and that's by design, so that they will line up with what the nation's largest auto market is already how's doing.
1: It, how's it aligned with Europe?
0: It's actually pretty much uh, the auto rules are in line um, with what they're doing in Europe. Um, in Europe. In Canada, there are similar rules being proposed. And again, that's kind of part of the idea of this design because this is a global industry, obviously. And so, you know, other major economies and governments, if they haven't finalized rules like this, are sort of in a similar stage of proposing, looking at, getting ready to finalize. So this puts the U.S. in line with some other global economies. Uh, We do not see China preparing to implement rules like this
1: final question because we need to let you go do you have a sense of how this aggressive approach on climate is uh interconnected with biden's re-election campaign and where it will help him where it will hurt him and overall what the net effect would be politically
0: great question you know i watched and you probably did too his um re-election video and he does not talk about one of his greatest legislative accomplishments (laughs) I, i he he's this president is the very first president to have signed a, a climate law. You know, this this guy who did not have a record as being a great environmentalist, really, or this was never a signature issue, really could run on this, you know, run on, on this law that's been passed and on these, you know, very bold, aggressive, transformative regulations. And if all this stuff gets put together, there's no question that Biden would be the strongest president in history on climate change with a very powerful and effective, you know, body of policies. And it's interesting, you know, on one hand... I, and and I, I need to do a, story, a piece about this because this is something that he could certainly use to appeal to younger voters and a lot of the climate activists who really, you know, rallied around during his uh, first campaign and sort of got him to promise to do some of these. But I think there is also a concern that, you know, tough regulations on these industries, particularly on industries based in Michigan, could backfire. And so- at this moment we i'm it's interesting to see that despite this record we we don't see it as a central part of the campaign
1: coral davenport thanks for your reporting thanks for being with us great to be with you for more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines become a member of the cafe insider members get access to exclusive content including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669 247 7338 That's 669 24 Preet. Or you can send an email to letters at Cafe.com. Stay tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tadashur. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is is nat wiener and the cafe team is matthew billy david kurlander jake kaplan namata shah and claudia hernandez our music is by andrew dost i'm your host preet barara stay tuned